Logan and Nick. How's it going, guys? Going good, right. man. How are you? Good, good. Well, uh, so last time you guys were on, we did the uh, 4th of July uh, We Don't Know History special. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So I wanted to bring you back on. I know we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, you guys are the whiskey connoisseurs. Uh, I mean, when I'm with my friend circle and, and, and people who don't know whiskey, I'm the scientist. When I'm with you guys, you guys spit mad science and I feel so dumb. So <laughs> you guys you guys are the masters, in my opinion, at least uh, who I know. But uh, I just want to thought I, th- I thought we'd start out with a, a quick intro of uh, what what got you into whiskey. Why do you like whiskey? What about whiskey makes you you know really enjoy just having you know the, not not the cheapest you know Jim Beam or Jack Daniels, but the complex, expensive, mid grade, high grade uh, scotches and bourbons that you us three have enjoyed together. Sure. Do you want to go first, Logan? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. So I actually started out with my very first scotch was a Glenlivet 12. Um, it's one of those things my dad got me when I turned 21. Um, just wanted to try something new, wanted to kind of get in that ball game. Uh, I drank a little bit of the Jameson, a little bit of typical just bar whiskeys that people tend to have around, tend to be the house or the well bourbons or the well scotches that people have and just didn't really suit my fancy. Um, Glenlivet 12 is very mild, so it's a great place to start for me, and it kind of just got me interested in it. It was something that was different from those typical bar shots that people tend to take and something that was meant to be enjoyed um, rather than just shot back. So when I got into that, for me, it's just over time really become a passion. So it's it's not something that is easy to get into. It's not something that's cheap to get into. So you really have to enjoy it. So part of it became the community that it's surrounded by and the people that love and enjoy it and it continued to just fuel my passion for it and my curiosity about the different types the different regions the different worlds of whiskey that kind of have popped up from almost every like random country in the world at this point um whether or not it's real whiskey or not is debatable depending on where it's from but every place has its nuances and that i just love enjoying and exploring it with people For me, it was uh, uh, when I had my first glass of whiskey was when it started and that kind of lulled off. So back at the end of high school, uh, uh, my best friend Sawyer and, our, and his grandpa Bernie took us up on a vacation up to Canada. And at the end of every um, at the end of every night of fishing, we'd cook the fish and we'd freeze what we didn't cook. And we'd sit down around the table and he'd pour us a shot of Johnny Walker Black and a uh and a couple fingers of Glenlove at 12 and we'd we'd knock back the shot and we'd sit around at the card table and play sheep's head until uh the the wee hours of the morning uh and from there it it sort of lulled off a little bit as i went to college you know college parties you don't drink super great stuff um but then once i had a little bit more disposable income i was like where did that go uh so i started to go look around again and do my uh, do my digging and I came back to a lot of the really great scotches that there are. So that's, that's where, that's where it came from for me. That's awesome. I, I, I unfortunately, and actually I've been putting a lot of thought on this. I actually can't pinpoint when I first tried my first, whether it be whiskey in general or, or actual scotch, um, a scotch, I could probably pinpoint closer to when Sawyer and I first started, you know, drinking together, um, or enjoying a glass of whiskey together. But I mean, him and I were went to high school together, and we weren't drinking nice whiskeys in high school. Um, I don't. When I went to college parties, it was you know like Southern Comfort mixed with Coke or Jack with Coke or something. Then that's about it. I mean, I was more a much more of a beer drinker. I enjoy craft uh, craft uh, beer or you know just Miller Lite is pretty easy. Yingling is pretty easy. Um, I don't really. I didn't really get into whiskey drinking until, or at least enjoying the complexities of different whiskeys until probably during my the end of my undergraduate career in college, maybe the beginning of my master's degree, um, which was just a couple of years ago. Um, and I've always enjoyed whiskey. I've always enjoyed just having like a Jack and Coke or 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 or, or having a shot of whiskey. I've never been one to stick my nose up at the you know the burn or anything. So. 
I don't know. And I, I've, I've always been a coffee snob and a wine snob. So <laughs> I, I think it's just another thing to add to my snob belt to, to, to say that I can taste and, and smell different things in different whiskeys when most people just say, oh, this smells like turpentine. <laughs> so I guess let's start. Uh, this is, this is going to be an intro to scotch. And I know we have already talked about uh, future episodes where we're going to dissect and discuss the different regions of Scotland and what the differences are between all those regions. Um, and I'm sure we'll go down the road uh, down, uh, in the future with you know different bourbons and different uh, just general whiskeys, American whiskeys. We'll probably even do a Japanese whiskey, which can do we could probably do in one episode. But um, Let's start because I think we've all agreed that scotch is one of our most interesting, complex varieties that exist out there in the whiskey world. So what about scotch? You know, like, well, if I was that, – let's start here. If I was just some random person who said, hey, I want to try some scotch whiskey, but I have no idea what scotch is. I don't know what the difference is between that and Jack Daniels. Like what does scotch whiskey entail? Um, so I guess whoever wants to go up to bat first on uh, – what is scotch? We'll start there. Nick? Well, I suppose the simplest definition would just be whiskey made in Scotland, right? <laughs> um, that's, that's, the, that's the basic of it. And there are a whole bunch of regulations with the surrounding scotch, just like there are bourbon uh, or Tennessee whiskey in the States. Um, you can use – it's primarily malted barley, although you do have um, blended malt uh, – scotches as well. Um, you have, uh, typically you get single barrel or not single barrel, single malt, uh, blended, uh, single grain. Uh, and then you can have a couple other variations. Um, but really at its essence, it's whiskey made in Scotland. Yeah. So I think that sums it up to its most basic standpoint. Um, there, like you said, there's a couple of regulations has to be made, distilled, bottled in Scotland. It has to be aged for minimum three years, you can't use new oak. Um, but when you're talking about the very basics and someone says, what is scotch? You're going to walk into your liquor store and what are you going to see on your shelves? He's right. The main two you're going to see are going to be blended scotch and they're going to be single malts. So when you're looking at those, what you kind of just give people a general idea. Single, when it says single malt, it generally refers to single distillery. So a lot of people that think that means like single harvest, single things, it's, it's really, it refers to a single distillery. Malt refers to the fact that it is 100% malted barley. So you're going to get a malted barley from a single distillery. Um, when you look at a blended scotch, or blended scotch, just in general, it's a mix between single malts and single grains. So again, single grains referring to single distillery, but they made a grain whiskey, which might be wheat, maize, and barley all together. It's just not necessarily all malted barley. And those are going to be your major categories or major two categories you generally find at most liquor stores. There's nuances and individual random things you may find. Yeah, I mean, I I know scotch and scotch ranges. Has scotch has such a larger range than other other whiskeys. I think it's pretty easy for for us to give advice for a bourbon seeker or a whiskey, uh, just an American whiskey seeker. But scotch, I mean, you have so many different complexities. Uh, I know, I know I talked to you guys about what I, what I should grab off my shelf and I grabbed my Alcantosh and American Oak. It's, a, it's one of my most basic go-to scotches that just is, it's from Scotland. It's from, uh, uh, oh, what's it called? You guys would know the city. Gasclaw. It's Gasclaw or Glasgow in the lowlands. Yeah. So lowlands is, is obviously a region uh, in, in scotch and uh, is it, do they, do, are, is it officially six or is it just five? It's officially five. five. Six with the islands being potential. I say six just because I love so many island whiskeys, but not. I'm not a professional. I don't make the board rules, so I'm the same way. <laughs> Fair enough. So this is a lowland whiskey. It's very, very basic. It's. I don't even think it's aged that long. I think it's. I'm. I'm not even sure if this even has an age statement. Um, but it's just aged in American oak barrels, uh, very citrusy. Um, it looks like scotch. It tastes like what you expect from scotch. Uh, my first scotch that I think I had or ever tried or bought was just Johnny Walker Red Label. And to anyone who is a scotch connoisseur, they'll kind of have a bad taste in their mouth when I say Johnny Walker Red Label. Um, but it's got that it's got that oaky 
taste. You can taste that it was in a barrel. You can taste that it's it's a little bit more mellower, not as harsh as a, as an American whiskey, in my opinion. Um, but as far as price points, when it comes to scotch, do, does does the price dictate the quality of the scotch? I know, I mean, price can dictate the age and all that stuff. But like when you go to the store, when you see something for eighty bucks, does that necessarily mean that it's a good scotch? So I can be extremely varied in that opinion. So there are some distilleries that I'm in love with that I know if I'm going to spend a certain amount of money, it's going to be worth it to me. Um, in my personal opinion, whiskey is all about experience. If you have the money, you have the knowledge, you enjoy something, there's no whiskey for me, in my opinion, that generally comes out of retail It's going to be too much. You're not overpaying for your buying a $150 bottle of whiskey. If you love it and you have the money, it's good whiskey. Um, I think there are some that can rage, and I know a lot of people in the past few years have been like, oh, these non-age statement ones that come out, because generally, the longer they were aged, the more expensive they became. And typically, these ones that came out without an age statement on them, so they didn't have a very specific regulation around them, tended to be the cheaper bottles 10 years ago. But now, master blenders across Scotland are coming up with unbelievable whiskeys that they can take from a range of different barrels and a range of different ages and mix them all together to create a very specific flavor profile. And no, it might not have a stamped number on there, but they're fantastic. Um, so I think it varies in how the price ranges work too, because I may have a $40 bottle sitting on my shelf. It's one of the favorite ones I've ever had. And this one sitting next to it might be 180 and I like them equally. So it's it's all extremely subjective when it comes to what's worth your money. <laughs> yep, definitely. And to add on to that, um, I know Logan, we've had extensive conversations about about the price points on uh, different different scotches, and um, generally speaking, we've kind of found that that you can you can put these into ranges for pricing. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, like Logan was saying, that anything in, uh, in say the the ninety to one hundred and twenty dollar bottle range is any better or worse than something that you can pick up for thirty bucks on the shelf. Um, some of my favorite bottles are are thirty, forty, fifty bucks, and I've tried hundred plus dollar bottles of whiskey, and they just some of them just don't stack up. Some of them are great, but other ones are a little more suspect and that's all based on your own flavor profile and what you like. I, I think another part of that too is, and something that I'm, I'm learning cause I, I mean, shelf appeal, it, it has a lot to do with, with how people perceive the whiskey that they're buying, the nice bottles and scotch is, you know, you all know that, that it, it comes in that cylindrical, uh, case, that cardboard case that looks so nice. And it's, it's, you know, it has its own little house and it's, it's fancy because you have to take off, you know, the, the, the tin lid off this, this, this bottle. And, uh, I mean, how much, when you go to the liquor store, how much does shelf appeal affect your decision-making? Maybe does it affect your, like when it comes to something new that you've never seen before, that the unique bottle shape or the unique logo you've never seen, and this is a small craft distillery, you think, oh, maybe this is something new I should try. Or is that out the window when it comes to scotch? I think for me, it's a little bit of both, if I'm being honest. So with a lot of the different distilleries, some of the, the marketing does come into play. So you have people that will do the basic bottles you, that make incredible whiskeys, and you have people that do the fancy bottles that make okay whiskeys. Um, some marketing's great. Some, they focus entirely on word of mouth, and they still do very well. For me, if I find a fancy bottle something that comes into that marketing, but I know it's from a distillery I like, I'm more willing to take that chance. I was like, I've liked the other things they've produced in the past, and that looks like something really cool that I haven't had before. I think there's definitely a part that plays into that. I mean, and you see how it's worked with American bourbon and things like Blanton's, which is, I'm on the unpopular, maybe popular opinion of, I love Blanton's, I've had it. I think it's worth every bit of what it's, on the shelf for some bourbon enthusiasts are like, no, it's whatever. It's just because it has a horsey on the top. I love it. It's fantastic <laughs> bourbon. And I think that applies, again, same thing. Like, There's a lot of marketing that goes into brands like McAllen. 
So, and they're renowned, they're known all over the world. So I think recognizability plays a factor into those purchases more than fancy bottling does. So, Cause there's brands like Glenfiddich and Glenlivet and McAllen that people walk into a liquor store and they might say, I know that brand, that's a fancy bottle because someone told me it was once and I, I've heard that name. So I think this, as far as that goes, recognizability plays much more of a large factor in those purchase prices for most people, maybe not for me, but for most people, um, than it does the actual fancy bottling itself. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm, I'm, you just said McAllen Logan, both, both of you know that I'm a huge McAllen fan. So when I go in there, when I go to the liquor store, I look for that trademark square bottle, matte finish, like the one color all the way up the bottle or up, up the box with the, the McAllen red on the top. And I always see if there's something new. Um, so in that sense, there's definitely some brand recognition there. But uh, if I'm going into a liquor store looking to get something new, I think some of that, if, if a box has uh, a bit of eye-catchiness, um, it encourages me to pick it up and to take a read. Because that's something that's really important with scotches too, is they have... Uh, at least typically they, uh, the distilleries tend to put, um, some tasting notes on their boxes and maybe, maybe you don't pick up everything that they, that they put on there when, uh, when you're actually drinking it, but it can give you a good idea as to if you're, if you think you might actually enjoy it. So in terms of getting me to pick a bottle up in the store and take a closer look, Absolutely. I can, I having an eye catching design is really great. Whether it plays into the fact that I actually buy it or not, um, that's more dependent on, on how I'm feeling about it after I take a look at it. So before we go any further, what are you guys drinking? Cause I know, I know, uh, I, I said that I, I'm drinking Alcantashan, but before we go further, I don't, I don't want to forget your drinks. So what do you, what do you got? Why'd you choose it? What is it? Is it scotch first and foremost? So mine is definitely scotch. I'm drinking a Buna Haven 18. It's one of my absolute favorites. Um, like we mentioned before, one of the reasons I like scotch so much is because of the exploration. And uh, for me, Bunahaven is it's an Isla whiskey, which is typically known for being heavily peated, being really aggressive whiskeys. Um, and it's one of the more tame ones. And for me, it's extremely enjoyable because I get a lot of those characteristics without it just being straight off the bat peat and aggressive flavors. And they really marry together beautifully. Um so it's been one of my favorites for a long time. Uh, I used to be in love with the Bunahaven 12, finally got my hands on an 18 um, and really enjoying it. Uh, one of the things I do enjoy is because of the way that Scotch is able to explore. Um, it's aged in American ex-bourbon and ex-Oloroso sherry casks. So you get a lot of sweet flavors with a lot of that Islay salt briny character and you get some toffee flavors that come off the ex-bourbon wood. It's just... It's an it's a lot of flavors that meld together in a really beautiful way. Uh, I've got a uh, uh, Glendronic Twelve uh, on actually Logan's recommendation uh, after some of our many uh, late night whiskey discussions, uh, and to to sort of uh, act like an echo chamber to what Logan just said too. One of my favorite aspects of Scotch is the creativity that distilleries have at their disposal, uh, having the requirement that they're only allowed to be aged in second fill or later casks. Uh, so Glendronic actually is, uh, is aged in um, the Oloroso sherry casks as well. I've got the, the bottle right over to my right here, so I'm taking a quick peek. Um, but yeah, uh, the Oloroso sherry casks for, the, for this Glendronic 12, and it's just outstanding. Uh, it's got a really sweet um, sort of almost like a sweet wine paired with a little bit more spice. Uh, and then when you, when you, uh, that's on the nose. And then when you, when you take a sip, you get this really warming, smooth, buttery mouthfeel, uh, and a lot of dried fruits. Uh, this is, this is a little bit, uh, different than what Logan was drinking. It's a Highland. So it doesn't have those, those really huge peaty notes to it. Um, I love this bottle though. So let's say I'm in the liquor store and I have never had or bought a good bottle of scotch. What would be a benchmark? How would you define a benchmark for a scotch drinker? Would it be 
Is it is it price point dependent, or uh, would you throw someone to the wolves with a a Macallan rare casks? <laughs> well, if you had to ask me, <laughs> Macallan rare cask is one of my favorite bottles of all time. But uh, no, I would totally say uh, it really would be uh, you'd have to find your taste uh, in, in in a couple of different bottles. And the way that I would maybe suggest trying that is. Um, finding something, something in the 30 to $40 price range for a Highland, a space side, uh, and an Islay or an islands and taking those three bottles home with you, um, for as close to a hundred bucks as you can get and trying each of them and then going from there. Mm, and I'm in agreement with that. I think it's, that's a very loaded question, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a debate moderator. Yeah, but at the, the very much the same time, um, I always encourage people to, like I said, either whether it's even come to my own house or go speak to another friend who has a good collection of whiskey or even just go to a bar. Um, it's hard to spend 30 or 40 bucks on something you really don't know or haven't experienced before. Um, so if you can, you have that opportunity to go to bar and try it a couple different kinds, whether that's, you want to try the different regions. Um, some of the regions tend to have a specific flavor profile, but a lot of those are breaking boundaries now. Anyway, one of the things I like to focus on when I'm first introducing people to different types of whiskey is actually to focus on the different finishes. So you have a, because of the freedom scotch is allowed, that's, it's still allowed in American, whiskey but like bourbon is going to be the biggest american whiskey they're technically not allowed to call a bourbon if it's finished so it's bourbon finished in this or it's bourbon aged afterwards in this um whereas scotch all you're going to see is scotch in the label and unless you're willing to do your little bit of research and look on the bottle or talk to someone who knows about it you can look and you can try one that's sherry cask you can try a X rum cask. You can try just X bourbon cask. You can try a peated. So there's there's a lot of different variation. So I'd say trying to get into all of those different finishes, and then maybe trying, like I said, the Isla and the peat has its own characteristic, unique to pretty much all of Scotch. Um, and peat's very much a love hate relationship. It's not necessarily that you will ever love slash hate it, but you either love it or you hate it. And I've introduced people who, from their first sip, they said it's amazing. And I've introduced people in their first sip, and they're like, this is scotch. I'm never touching scotch again. So you don't ever want to start there <laughs> just because it's a risky foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start with, uh, start with Pete Monster or any Ardbeg and just watch them turn their nose up. I love I love Pete, and I, I love the fact that it's just a complex, different variation of whiskey that you, know, you never even think would exist. Um Define how would you walk someone through like the flavor profile when they're when they when they bring home that bottle or they're at a friend's house or they're at your house and they're trying different regions of scotch. Um, how would you walk them through the flavor profile? How would you tell them to you know take a sip and just you know let you let your mouth get acclimated to the alcohol burn? I've always told people to make sure you don't just uh, go go in dry and 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 think that you had all that burn is you're missing the flavor. Once your tongue and your mouth kind of get used to the fact that there's alcohol burn coming, you'll have more of a flavor profile. I've also heard that <clears throat> beginners. Uh, really do benefit from having a couple drops of water that opens up the profile of the scotch. Um, so I don't know. What do, what do you think about that? I think there are multiple different ways to do it for me. Um, for me, when I'm introducing people, so I just because of my flavor profile, like I said, when I have people over introducing new things, I try to stay away from anything that says cast strength. Um, so just because that tends to turn people off just as fast as Pete does if they don't like it. Um, so when you do start introducing those things to people who haven't had it before, um, my two ways are one, either having a sip of water right before you take your first sip, because then you still have that water, water kind of coating your palate, calms everything down. So we're going to get some of those flavors, not quite as heavy on the initial, but you also take out some of that alcohol burn. The other way is people tend to sip it like they sip a mixed drink. Um, which if you're not used to an alcohol burn and you can see the way I'll even sit throughout the episode, I tell them to sip it like they'd sip hot coffee. And I 100% stole it from a YouTube channel, uh, <laughs> which they they said the same thing. And I was like, that's the perfect way to describe it. Because I tell people to try to take it easy, but there's no really good explanation of how to like just be like timid with it. 
But if you sip it like you'd sip really hot coffee that you don't know if it's going to burn your tongue or not, it's a great way to just have them get a little bit of that flavor in their mouth without overwhelming their senses. I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with Logan on all of what he just said. That was <laughs> absolutely great. So uh, debate over. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think I've never heard that the sipping like uh, it's hot coffee. I think that's great. Um, I've always learned, and I actually learned this from, I, I toured a distillery in Nashville. I've talked about it so much on this podcast, they might as well sponsor me, uh, Nelson's Greenbrier. Uh, it was it was one of the best tours I had or experiences I had at a distillery. It was a small craft distillery. Um, and we did we did tastings at the end. And and the guy uh, poured, he, they had like five different types, uh, all their Bellmead, uh, and then of course their, their new Nelson's whiskey, but original Tennessee whiskey, but they poured it into a snifter and, or a Glen Cairn glass. And, uh, he kind of walked us through how to smell and then how to taste. And what he, he told me was when you're, when you're smelling the whiskey, you don't want to just close your mouth and then sniff, you know, real hard because you're going to burn your nostrils and you're not gonna be able to smell anything but the, but the alcohol. So you open up your mouth a little bit and you also breathe in through your nose so the vapors, the alcohol vapors can uh, expel through your mouth and your nose gets all the senses of the actual whiskey aroma. Um, and I, I, I use that when I talk to people who, who don't do whiskeys. I use, I use that for new whiskeys that I'm not sure about. Um, but then on top of that, with, with, with tasting, he'll, he says, just take a sip and just lather your tongue with that. You might get a little flavor right now, but it's going to be mostly burned because you've been walking through the distillery. You haven't had any water and it's going to be – it's just going to be burned. Um, after that first sip though, then ap- you could take another sip and a- another sip and you just kind of explore the flavor profiles. Um, but I think what is lost on a lot of people is how are you getting these things? Like I know Nick, you, you rambled off on, on, on toffee flavors and, and, and different things that you can get from the whiskey. How did, how does someone get there? Is it, is it, is it just understanding the, the, the references that you can get from different whiskeys or is it do you have to be cultured to have a you know a, a wide food palette to begin with to even get to that point <laughs> yeah I, it's it's really about your own experiences um you can't taste something that you've never tasted before right unless somebody's telling you unless you're being coached through it uh, like this is what you're supposed to be tasting here. And then you can, you can kind of get the gist of it. But if you're just sitting down, uh, at a bar or at your home, uh, to have a glass of whiskey, you can only taste things that you've tasted before. So really it's all about your experience and what you've had before. Uh, and Logan, I know you have a really good example of that, uh, with your, um, Spanish moss. Uh, I forget which whiskey you were describing that as that's something that I can't I can't relate to because I don't have that that memory, but it works really well to describe the flavor that you were describing at the time. Yeah. So what he's speaking out about is actually a couple, probably a couple months back, I tried uh, Port Charlotte 10, which mm. is another heavily peated whiskey and that I absolutely love. Um, but for me, the smell and the taste it triggered for me was like being in downtown Savannah where you have the salty briny sea air coming off of the water and you have the Spanish moss and that old Spanish moss that drifts down from the tree and it triggers memory. So it's not only just what you eat on a daily basis, it's what you've experienced personally because for me it brought back that specific location, not necessarily a food, but the smell of a location. Um, And I think there's another side to it too is that too many people seem to think that there's a right way to answer what your flavor notes are. And that if you're not picking up what the distillery says you're supposed to be picking up, then you're not getting it right. Um, like I said, you can look at tons of different things, but it's all based on experience. Like another one, Lagavulin, which is a world favorite. And there is very specific, and multiple people will tell you the same thing, notes of iodine and Band-Aids in there. They're not, like, that's not something you associate with, like, this is delicious. People <laughs> love it. But those are random notes you pick up in there because for some reason at one year, one point in time when you were a kid, you ended up chewing off a Band-Aid and you know what a Band-Aid tastes like. <laughs> These people going around eating Band-Aids. <laughs> like you might pick up Twizzlers or Pop-Tarts or any kind of random thing just because it's that's what's in your memory bank for flavors. And if they're not what the bottle says it is, if they're not what someone else who's, quote, more experienced than you says it is, you're not wrong. That's the whole point. 
Yeah. I, I just had that experience with, uh, oh, what bottle did I just try? I just opened it up. Um, but I, I had I had the the reference point of the smell of new leather. Like when you go to like the, the county fair and, and they have that, those leather shops set up or they it, it, you walk in there, it just it smells like it, it tasted like what you're smelling. Um, it's just it's so interesting how, how how those those reference points, whether it be from smells or from tastes, trigger certain parts of the brain. And that's why I think I love scotch. Is you know bourbon bourbon is is a is a very simple, very in the caramely vanilla realm, and a couple of variations within that. But scotch has a vast array of things, and that's why I wanted I wanted to do the the intro to scotch first because I think it, it it's more interesting to me. I know it's interesting to you guys too because I think we all love scott probably the most um if i'm if i'm not wrong i think nick's nick's shaking his head yes yeah definitely <laughs> definitely i yeah and i would tend to agree with that don't get me wrong i don't want to put any hate out for any bourbon lovers out there um right, right i have found my nuances in bourbon and as my palate has developed more and more I'm finding more and more different things in bourbon but for me those tend to be about differentiating differentiating those bourbons from each other or from a specific one, it's like, what's different about this? Whereas there's some scotches, like you said, I can taste. It's it's not that there's not diversity within bourbon, because there's still a lot, but it's just not the same. You can taste two scotches in the same night, and they're not even in the same galaxy. Right, if you right. taste an Ardbeg next to a Glenlivet or an Ardbeg next to a Glendronic, it's not even in the same category. Yeah, I... I think, I guess I'm trying to figure out a way to explain to someone who, who is, is so new to the scotch game, um, what would be your what would be your recommendation for uh, if, if you had them? Let's start with your liquor cabinet. What do you have at your disposal? What would you walk me through right now if I was, I was with you in person um, and uh, we were socially distancing because COVID-19? <laughs> uh, um i guess alcohol is a solution right so we can we can do that but um what would you sit me down with what would you walk me through what would be how would you explain to me uh an intro to each each region and what region would be the best to, to give someone would it be a highland or a lowland that has a, a real mild taste to it or would you what would you in the same night or the same day give them get them all the way up to a, a, a an isla that has more of a peated note or is that like a whole different week type of thing? Like how how do we go about doing that? So for me, um, if I'm talking to beginners, um, I don't necessarily tend to go with regions. Um, some people might. Uh, I tend to go with specific distilleries that I know just from personal experience have a certain mild flavor that people can get accustomed to. Um, to kind of just introduce them down that pipeline. Because like I said, a lot of people will have had what they think is like, oh, I don't like scotch. And the only thing they might have ever had was a Johnny Walker Black or an Ardbeg that someone just says, oh, yeah, this is delicious because I like it. You should like it. And that's, again, just not how it works. So my go-tos tend to be uh, Glenmorang G10 because it's a nice, light citrus flavor. It's not aggressive. It's very smooth. And, and the way the Glenmorang does their stills, they're extremely tall. So you end up with a light kind of just delicate flavor profile that's fantastic, but it's 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 a good intro. Uh, Glenlivet's another one, because Glenlivet tends to be, for me, it's very smooth, it's tame. A lot of people equate that smoothness with quality. So if they think when they're going into it and say you're trying something smooth, they're like, okay, this is good. If it bites too much or it has the flavors are too aggressive and the flavor that's aggressive is something they don't like, it doesn't work. And I try to explain to people in some ways that it's the closest relation I could give is with wine. Just because you don't like a Malbec doesn't mean you don't like a Riesling. Like just saying scotch is scotch is to me like similar to saying wine is wine. Like they don't all taste the same. There's a, just a, there is a broad range of flavors like I'm talking about. So trying to explain like, hey, if you don't like one, and you don't want to try anyone, that's okay. But if you like, if you're interested and you'd like to try more, there's tons of different options that we can start to roll with. And like another Glendronic 12 with Nick's drinking tonight is another fantastic flavor for someone who might like wine. 
where it gives some of those dark fruit characteristics. So kind of figuring out why they didn't like whiskey before, why they haven't gotten into it, and what they do tend to drink is kind of gives you a different baseline for walking them into it. Uh, I think along the same lines as Logan, um, the bottles that I choose uh, to pick up if I'm introducing somebody to scotch for the first time are uh, a little bit different than, than his, but that's just because uh, there are so many great choices for uh, intro scotches that you could be giving somebody. Right. Um, so the first one that I that is near and dear to my heart is Macallan 12 Sherry Cask. Uh, that's a great, relatively cheap bottle uh, for your, um, I don't know, everyday uh, sort of sweet alcohol drinker, um, a wine drinker. I guess, uh, or sherry wine because the 12 sherry cask is aged in sherry casks. You get a lot of that sweetness coming through in, uh, in that bottle. Another one, uh, a little bit on the pricier side. And I know a fan favorite of, uh, everybody here is the, uh, Balvany Caribbean cask. Uh, um, yes. that, that is, that's, that's something that uh, it's, it's a great excuse for me to go out and, and burn 70 bucks on another <laughs> bottle of it. Uh, if I'm trying to introduce somebody to, uh, to scotch and really get them to enjoy it, um, because they do rum cask like no one else. Uh, Balvenie yep. Caribbean cask is, uh, finished in, uh, rum casks, uh, and it picks up this really beautiful sweetness from the, um, from, from the rum, um, aged previously in those barrels. Uh, and it's like nothing out, nothing out there at all. Um, so that's, that's a really good one for again a little bit on the pricey side but it's definitely something that you can find at a lot of whiskey bars uh, yep. it's a very popular bottle and the same thing with the mccallan 12 and with the ones that logan was saying as well uh the last one if i'm if i'm feeling a little mean uh <laughs> is is definitely the talisker storm uh and I, I get a couple of nods from the from the crowd here yeah the talisker storm is <laughs> Uh, if I had a bottle of it right now, I'd be drinking it right now. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's one of those ones from that unofficial sixth region, the islands. Uh, and it just has this briny, salty characteristic on the nose, on the mouth, on the finish. That is unlike, really for me, it's unlike anything else that's out there. There are a couple of uh, things that are sort of tangential to it. Um, but that that salty, briny uh, full characteristic that, that that's there is is second to none, and I'll 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 usually just give give them a little tiny pour and say take a smell, take a sip, and if you don't like it, you can dump it in the sink um, because it's obviously a very very acquired taste. And like you guys were saying, it, it, you either love it or you hate it with the pee and the and the smokiness. So, um, but that's definitely th those are. Those are what I would use to introduce somebody uh, who has never tried scotch before because there's so much variety in those. Yeah. I, uh, my last episode that came out last Monday, um, I mean, you guys will be coming out this Monday. Uh, so there's, we, we can talk kind of timely because there's not much uh, things that will happen that will change. <clears throat> but the last episode I had, uh, I guess it was two episodes ago, but I had my friends uh, Nick and, and Joey on, and I sat them down at the table. It was just all one shot of us here live. They had they they drove up uh, here to D.C. to visit me, and they aren't whiskey drinkers at all. Um, now, yeah, yeah. So I I walk them through uh, just a few different brands that I knew pretty well that I thought were interesting to me. I didn't probably do it the most scientific way. Um, but we did find out that they don't like things that are that are really, you know, out of left field. Whether it comes to like the Bunahaben Twelve, they had off camera. Um, that's kind of that salty briny. I I, re I really love that whiskey. I, I got that from you, Logan. Um, but uh, they they didn't like that. They didn't like the peat. They tried the Ardbeg Ugadol off camera, and they also tried the Port Charlotte on camera. Um, Anything that was smoky or meaty or, or how, you know, how they described it, it's like smoking a cigarette. They didn't, they didn't like it. Um, and I can understand if you have that relation to, you know, smoking a cigarette, that's not, you don't want that taste in your mouth. I understand that. Um, I associate Ugadol with bacon, so I will drink all of the Ugadol. More for you, right? Yeah, that's right. More for me. But so it was really interesting to see, you know, them uh, taste in succession, all these different types of scotches and, and even outside of scotch, just American whiskeys. Um, I, 
I feel like as a Scotch fan, as a as a Scotch drinker myself, I've changed my palate so much in the, in the last year, and and especially with influence from you guys. You know, we sit, we have a lot of cigar chats and whiskey chats, late night just talks on Zoom, and especially with you know COVID nineteen, we've kind of rediscovered the the, the ability to FaceTime each other. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I think I've become more of a fan of, of the peat. I like the more peat, the better for me. But that doesn't mean that I, I, I exclusively like the peat. I also love the like the, this this citrusy, um, basic Aquintosh and American oak that has remnants of bourbon barrel. You know, I think this is a, a very good scotch, especially for the price point. This is, I think this is a $35, $40 bottle. Um, I don't know. I think... I just enjoy the, the the differentiation between all the scotches and and, and whatnot. But that, that's that's let's go through some of the terms because I know we've we've thrown out a couple of things. We've talked about blended versus not blended. Um, I guess let's start there. As far as a flavor profile goes, or as far as what uh, you're looking for on the box or looking for on the label, when you see something that says blended scotch versus something that doesn't say anything about blended. Um, what's the difference there? Why is one better? Why is one not better? Is it obviously is a personal, personal preference? Um, what do you think? Nick? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any, there's necessarily anything drastically, uh, better or worse than for either one. Um, the difference, obviously, like we talked about before, single malt versus blended. Um, a lot of people have this stigma of blended whiskey. Uh, blended scotch um, but there are just as many examples of great blended whiskeys um, out there as there are of single malts uh, a lot of the stuff that johnny walker does um, the green label the double black um, compass box is a is a, a crowd favorite of ours here um, with yep. the peat monster that alan loves and we all love uh the tentatively i love uh, <laughs> and and they have um one called the spice tree which is uh probably the most bourbony scotch that i've ever had um there are so many great examples of blendeds out there that people maybe don't maybe take for granted um there are definitely a lot of many many more uh single malts than there are blendeds i think um but yeah, so I would agree that there are probably more a larger variety of single malts, um, but if you want to look at it traditionally, blended Scotch makes up probably about ninety percent of their market, yeah, as yeah. the Scotch market as a whole. Um, blended Scotch traditionally, long at least before people like uh, Loch Lamond and people like Compass Box started coming out with different variations, uh, blended Scotch is traditionally meant for the masses. Um, it's meant to be consistent, good quality, easy to drink, and most people are going to enjoy it. So I would say majority of those, not all, because there are some specialty companies, but a majority of those come in between 40 to 43% alcohol. So they're going to be in that lower proof range, not quite as much burn. Because like I said earlier, a lot of people equate smoothness with quality. So that can be true a lot of the time because if you have a higher proof one that's still very smooth and drinks like a lower proof, it's a sign of good quality. Um, but when you have those single malts, that's where that variation comes in. So you have the single malts and those might vary extraordinarily from year to year just depending on what happened during the aging process any number of things, uh, where which barrels you're pulling from, and the master distiller has their own specialty job of trying to create a consistent product, but it's not quite as easy when you can only choose from 16-year-old barrels if you're releasing a 16-year-old single malt, whereas the blended scotch, they can pretty much put together whatever they want to. Um, one of the hallmarks of blended scotch is, like I said, you can use a single malt and a single grain. Uh, grains tend to use a different type of still so that you get a lighter character. So it's a little bit, it's not quite as dense, it's not as oily, and it's a little bit more, a little easier to drink. And mixing the two of those together still gives you a good flavor profile, but just it's not as heavy. Um, I think a lot of people, and especially people that rotate in circles, maybe close to us, somewhat become mildly elitist with their single malts. And that's the thing, it's just because just it's what you enjoy. Um, there are some blended scotches that are fantastic. Like you said, we mentioned Compass Box is doing, uh, they do blended malts. 
So difference between blended scotch and blended malts is the blended scotch is going to be single malts and single grains mixed together. Blended malts is a mixture of just single malts. So it's single malts from multiple different distilleries all mixed together, but they're still all 100% malted barley. Um, Compass Box does quite a few of those. Not all of their stuff is because they have a wide variety as well. Um, and those tend to be some of my favorites, if we're being honest. Like I said, Compass Box has made some fantastic stuff. Yeah, I was I was going to say that you, when you said Compass Box, it reminded me I just I just bought a bottle of the Spaniard. And the Spaniard is aged in Spanish wine casks. And it is one of the most sweetest scotches I have ever had. It's it's very well rounded off with that. It's like notes of red berries and and and, and wine, and it also leaves kind of a dry, like almost like a cabernet feeling on the tongue. Um, I wasn't I was very impressed. And Compass Box, Compass Box is a fairly new. Is it 2014, 2012? Somewhere around that, I believe. Yeah, John Glacier is a mad genius. Yeah, I mean they they're they're pretty new to the Scotch game, which is which is great, but. You know, I love to know the history and and the inner workings of the company and and, and where they came from. It's like, you know, you start with Ardbeg. Ardbeg was established in 1819, and they're an established, well loved, specifically known for their peated scotches. Um, but then you have a lot of new. I don't know if you could consider them a craft. I guess you would call them a craft distillery in Scotland, like Compass Box, that have have changed the game in their own region and their own in their own style. Um. What uh, I guess, what's your preference between blended and single malt? I know we kind of you kind of kind of touched on the fact that you know you both like single malts. I think we all kind of become snobs in certain ways. But what's your what's your favorite blended? What's your favorite uh, uh, single malt and 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 why? <laughs> Nick, you go right ahead. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, my favorite single malt is hands down Lagavulin 16. Uh, I'm, 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 not, I'm not including limited releases. The, the distiller's edition of Lagavulin is absolutely out of this world. Um, but as far as, as far as normal releases go, the Lagavulin 16 is king for me. It has a taste like no other, a nice smoky uh, flavor that I just, I have always, I've loved from the first time that I took a sip of it. Uh, to my, I don't know, fifth bottle that I just finished a couple of weeks ago, uh, in, inside of probably two years. Um, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites, um, blended. I would probably have to, um, say it would be the spice tree from compass box. Um, again, one of the most bourbony sweet whiskeys that I've had or scotches that I've had. Um, they really capture a lot of that, a lot of that, that, that sweetness that you would expect from a bourbon, which you don't normally get in, in scotch. Uh, and I think they did a masterful job with that blend. Yeah. Those are both excellent choices of all. Um, I have a hard time with this one, if I'm being a hundred percent honest. <laughs> <laughs> good. So just cause I do have it's such a, a good wide... thing that I went first then, huh? Yeah. I have a lot of favorites. Um, I think if I had to narrow it down and pick a, pick a very specific one, as far as blended, um, one of the ones I have downstairs right now is the Compass Box No Name Number Two. Oh, so good! Which for me is fantastic. I am a massive Kalila fan. Um, ever since I had my first dram a couple years ago, I bought one of those little tasting sets that had a Talisker and a Kalila, and I think it's Kregeliki in it. Um, Love them all, but there's something about the Kalila that stuck out to me that I fell in love with, and that takes its primary portion of its blend from Kalila and gets a lot of those characters that I absolutely love. Um, masterfully well, do well done. Um, as far as single malts, that's way harder to narrow down. I'm going to go way off the wall because it is my favorite of all time, but the Brooklotti Black Art 4.1. Oh, is by far my favorite whiskey I've ever had in my entire life. And it's getting harder and harder to find and you have to pay for it. But it's, for me, it was whiskey perfection. And part of, part of me knows that whiskey is partially about experience. So the first time I had it, I was having a great time. I was surrounded by friends and I, in the bottom of my heart, have a minor man crush on Jim McEwen. So anything he did is gold to me. 
So <laughs> I think that definitely plays a part in it. But it's just I started following him because I loved everything he was producing and I loved his mentality on the way he did whiskey and with his comeback with Brook Lottie. And because I love everything Brook Lottie produces at this point. Um, they're one of my favorite distilleries in the world. And that was one of the best expressions they ever made for me. And to this day, I'll never forget it. So my favorite blended, it's a, it's a new, is going to be the Johnny Walker Green Label. I think it is it is, it is is one of the most impressive uh, blended whiskeys that I've, or scotch whiskeys that I've come across. Um, and I, I always kind of turn my nose up at Johnny Walker as I thought it was kind of the cheaper end, but that, it's like you get past the red label. They actually have some really great stuff. Yeah, um, they absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I just was the other day I was sipping some black label and I'm like, this is actually quality whiskey. I like this a lot. Um, but yeah, their green label is like no other. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it's 15 year, right? Their green label. I, I don't follow Johnny Walker, so I, I, I think they are a 15-year. I, yeah. I wouldn't be entirely sure. I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure yes. Um, and this will come in no surprise. My single malt is Ardbeg. They're, they're, they're 10 years. It's just a good benchmark, basic. Anything. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, of, well, is there any, other, is there any av- other avenue for basic scotch we can go down? I, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, you guys know more than I do. Uh any thoughts i think for me it's breaking out stereotypes and trying to convince people that what they like doesn't have to be what other people like um obviously there's people who enjoy talking about it and they like giving recommendations um i think a lot of what we're talking about with beginners like i said they get turned off because they drink what their friend says is good um whiskey in its entirety is so subjective um and scotch especially for me is not only about is this the best whiskey i've ever had every time sometimes they are sometimes they aren't sometimes they're fantastic sometimes they're mediocre part of the reason i do enjoy scotch so much is because it's a journey and it's no that sounds corny but for me it's like i get to explore i get to try to taste and try to find new things every time i pick up a new bottle is that I very literally get excited when I get to purchase another one because I'm curious and I want to learn and I want to explore and I want to know what I can find. So taking it from a different perspective of, hey, is this going to be the best thing I've ever tasted every time? Probably not. Um, there's only a few of those like major, major life moments. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Um But I also think that that takes time to get to because I know for me throughout my process, it went from, like I said, drinking Glenlivet 12 and some Dewars and some very still fantastic whiskey. But to me now, where I'm at, I like exploring depth. So there's certain whiskeys I find where I want to find six flavors in it. I want to see something from the tip of my tongue to the back of my throat, and I want it to change. And I want to be able to tell where it changes, and I want it to stick to my mouth. So there are certain things you may like. And someone else may hate that. Someone else may like, it feels like oily and sticky and gross, which if that's the way you think, that's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're enjoying what you enjoy, that's totally cool. Um, but taking it as a experience versus just, is this going to, because I'm going to tell you honest, is there almost any whiskey in the world that's going to taste better than an Arnold Palmer? Probably not, but it's different. It's not supposed to. It's a different experience. Right. I, I would I would continue right along with that. Um, I one of my favorite things about Scotch I've said it already um, the creativity that's involved in in the distillation process uh, and the aging process um, and what I think that creates is a little something for everybody. Um, no matter what you drink normally, wine, rum, anything, you can find a Scotch that will suit your tastes to a certain extent and you can enjoy that. Um, and I'm still in that stage where I love going into a liquor store and walking down the aisle and spending 30 minutes looking at all the different bottles that they have and, and pulling a bunch of them off the shelf and, uh, and and just reading them and trying to find something that I like. Just the other week I walked in, uh, 
and I was, I was planning on getting a couple of, of cheaper new bottles and just walking out. And I, and, and I always check a couple of the, the, a couple of my normal ones, the McAllen section they have, um, the eyelids that they have at the bottom, the bottom shelf. And I happened to see out of the corner of my eye, uh, Lagavulin 12, uh, the cask strength limited release that they did. And I got this big kid in a candy store smile on my face and I grabbed that bottle and I walked right out with it. <laughs> um, so I'm still at that stage where I, I love to go in there and just pick something up and, and, and try something new. And that's, that's what I, that's what I love about scotch is there's always going to be something new for me to try. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty new in, in, in understanding all the complexities and the nuances in scotch. Um, but I've, I've, I know you guys know that I've come, I've come quite far, uh, much at the dismay of my bookshelf that is bowing from the weight of my whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, it, it's 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 fun because you go you go and you find things that you'd never think you'd find. I moved from Wisconsin where you could go to a Seven Eleven and buy liquor, to a state that has such strict liquor laws that you know the, these ABCs that are all over the state that you know, you you're going to have your basic Jack Daniels, your Jim Beams, and your your seventeen ninety twos and your Jefferson Reserves, your basic stuff, and you come across a gem and you, you come across a couple of ABCs or state owned liquor stores that have an incredible scotch and Irish whiskey aisle that you'd never think you'd be able to find. There's an ABC down the road that I can get green spot at. You can't get green spot Irish whiskey anywhere here. Um, or you have to go across the border to Maryland and go to a total wine and more and, and spend through the nose because they know that they're getting people from out of state. So, I, I I definitely have that kid in the candy store mentality. I go to the, I go and find something new every day, and I, I, I not every day. That sounded terrible, uh, all the time. <laughs> and uh, it's it, it's quite the journey. And that's part of what this podcast is. This podcast was to you know it's it's not only me learning about whiskeys and talking with people about different things in life and just enjoy things. If this isn't this this is going to be you know our segments that are going to be you know going forward. We're going to go all through all the different regions of Scotch. We're going to go through all the different things with 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 bourbons and and and, and maybe we'll go through. Different different state whiskeys, whether it be, you know, Tennessee or, uh, whichever. And, you know, being able to sit down and have a conversation with different complexities. And I think that, that, uh, the complexities and the nuances that involve whiskey are, are very analogous to what, you know, we are as people, right. Our, our, our perspectives, our experiences are, are lived in world is, is analogous with scotch itself. Um, that, you know, some of us are peated and some of us are not, <laughs> <laughs> but and I, I think this is going to be a great way for me to kind of just, you know, take the podcast in a direction of, of just learning different things, trying different whiskeys in each episode and sitting down with someone and talking about maybe not whiskey at all, but maybe just something that happens to be while I'm having a whiskey. And then in other forums and other podcasts, I can talk about, you know, what I liked, what I didn't like, uh, and maybe even sound off with you guys that, you know, Hey, episode one through 10, these are what I tried. Let's go through them. And it might be a cool, cool way to go through uh, what we're doing, but, um, I know we kind of went through over the basics. Are there any other basic things you want to touch on with Scotch before we kind of give a teaser of what's to come with our discussions on how uh, the different regions and, and different flavor profiles that interact with Scotch? Hmm. I think one of the big things for me is just <clears throat> Scotch, whiskey, bourbon, any type of whiskey in general. Um, for me, this is what it's about. You don't go buy a $400 bottle and sit on your couch. Don't get me wrong. I drink at my house as well. I'm not saying it's wrong. But whiskey is such an experience. There is such a community around the type of people that enjoy it. And, like, it's hard to have a bad time around friends drinking whiskey. And if we're being 100% honest, whiskey tastes better when you're having fun. Period. Um <laughs> It's meant it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be relished in um, to enjoy those experiences, um, not just so you can look cool on Instagram, not just so you can have those bottles on yourself that never get opened. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be experienced. Um, for me, that's one of the reasons that also, like I said, drew me to scotch is there is an experience. There's a history. If you look at interviews whether it be with master distillers or just people that work in these places um scotland so much of scotland in of itself is run by the scotch industry 
so many people go to work at these distilleries and that's just their way of life in tons of these towns. Um, and if you look at some of these places and you maybe get online and just look up some basic facts, not only history, but like the amount of people that work there, sometimes they're second, third generation workers. Like this is a family history that's going into making scotch. This is a, there are distilleries that might only have 20 people working at them. And they're delivering things worldwide to every location you could possibly imagine. You've got this sitting on your shelf and I might buy two or three bottles a year. And this is all made by the same 20 people. And that's fascinating to me. Um, and to know what kind of work goes into that, what kind of people are living that style of life. Um, and because there it is a culture. It's not just like, yeah, throw some throw some whiskey at them. This is to get drunk on the weekend and have fun. Like it's it's literally a way of life. Um, and it's amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, my, my final thought and my only final thought to add on top of everything that we've just said is drink what you like with who you like. Like Logan said, good whiskey tastes better with good friends, good family. If you don't like it, don't drink it. If you don't like a scotch, don't drink it. Mm -hmm. If you do like it, share it with the people you care about. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'd echo that. I think, I mean, a good whiskey is a whiskey you enjoy, but I think that it's so much more enjoyable with company. And that's part of why I've gotten in, in, into drinking different whiskeys is, is because, you know, we've had such camaraderie in, in, in enjoying different conversations, whether it be on camera or off camera for, for the purposes of my benefit, but, uh, which I appreciate guys. Thanks for coming on. Um, this is, uh, this is going to be a great thing that, that we can do as just as, as future episodes, just for fun, because I mean, I, it's very hard for us to replicate what you and I, what we all talk about uh, off off camera when we're not recording in this weird podcast setting where we we were having a conversation and it's like, okay, everyone, let's hit record now. Um, it's hard to replicate that, but I, I think I think we're doing a pretty good job, and I think we're going to explore uh, more realms of whiskey, especially scotch. So, uh, real quick before we go, let's let's name all the regions of scotch, and 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 I guess. I don't want to say what we're going to do next and we don't have a timeline or we don't really have a structure, but, uh, it's going to be peppered throughout the future of, of, of whatever we do. But, uh, I guess let's figure out what we're doing next and what, 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 uh, what, what exists out there. Let's give a little teaser. What, what can people expect from you guys and your, your expertise? As, as you... <laughs> you can say expertise. I just call it obsession. <laughs> uh, also a valid interpretation. Valid. Very valid. Um, I'm looking forward just to do a basic intro to the regions. Um, what makes them special? What their hallmarks are? Not to say that you can fit each of them in a box, like I said, because a lot of them are experimenting doing some really special stuff. Um, but maybe looking at what each of those different regions has to offer, um, what their unique offerings are there that may fit outside of their box, um, and some of our favorites from each and why. Um, I think a good place to start might be towards space side just because the mass amount of distilleries there um and then multitude of different variations that come out of that region yeah definitely the 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 six regions we've already talked a little bit about um space side highland lowland campbelltown which we haven't talked about at all oh uh, campbelltown well, yeah we got to get it in there at some point there are only a couple of distilleries left in campbelltown but they're every one of them is is a gem they're hitters uh, i love them yeah and then we've got islay and then the unofficial sixth region which we're calling islands um i i i, I think space might be a good place to start for sure my my favorite mccallan is is up there um and there's a ton of other exciting stuff going on there the highest concentration of distilleries in scotland by a very wide margin i think um is is Speyside. and there and you can't you really can't fit that region inside of a box um another great possibility is islay uh with the the insane quality that they put out in everything that they do islands is so highly varied uh, and so different from everything else that you can find. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really great stuff to talk about and great whiskeys to try. 
yeah, I think I think the the possibilities are endless, and I think we have enough uh, material to go to to make this podcast last for probably another year, <laughs> and then after that, we'll have to make our own whiskey and then talk about our own whiskey. I can do that. Sign me up. <laughs> cool guys. Well, uh, I appreciate it. I know I know we have lots to cover still. This is just an intro Scotch uh, discussion about what Scotch is, what to look for, and. Uh, Hopefully, uh, we can do this in person soon. I, I do plan to round off our Scotch series with us cracking open one of my 21-year-old uh, Shavas Regal uh, from 1982. Um, so, Very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I'm curious to know what the recipe tastes like from 1960-something. <laughs> but uh, that, 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 more to come. So everyone stay tuned. I appreciate you. Uh, and obviously, uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. So, Cheers. Thanks for thanks, having boys. me. Cheers. Thanks for having us on, Alan. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Coking Conversation. Be sure to like and follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the places you can find podcasts. If you like what we're doing, we would greatly appreciate it if you subscribe to our Patreon. Just a few bucks a month can really help us make our content better. And helps us buy new whiskey, too. Grab a glass of your favorite whiskey every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Cheers. Cheers.